Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. We would be honoured if you would join us. Hello there, what's going on? Welcome, you rebels, to this episode 115 of Spark of Rebellion. I'm your host, Mark Asquith. And before we get to the episode, I want to give a big shout-out to my ever-present co-host and the person that has manned the Falcon and pretty much run the entire Rebel fleet for the last couple of weeks while I've been on holiday, Mr. Gary Aylert, who is this week relying on me to man the fleet. So it's just great to be a flying solo. I'm looking forward to be getting back with Gaz as normal. Always love talking with Gaz, and I know you guys have absolutely loved Gary being around the last couple of weeks. So thank you, man. Much love. And uh, we'll be back together next week, I've got no doubt. But today, I'm going to revisit a little bit of news that came out last week, um, just around the Zack Snyder movie. I'm going to talk about that, because I've got my own thoughts on that, and I'm sure... You know, Gaz and I will pick this back up as well in the future. But I'm 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 intrigued by this, and I put it on the list for a reason. I kind of wanted to just give my thoughts on that as well. And then I'm actually going to take a break from the news and talk about the prequel novelizations that I've read because I think there's a lot of fascinating stuff in them. It's something that Gaz and I had a bit of banter about uh, a bit ago because I drunkenly ordered all of the uh, the novelizations as well every main saga film, which was weird. What a weird thing to do when you're drunk. Um, But I'm going to just talk about some of that stuff because I'm getting through the prequels, which I think is interesting. But look, before I do that, of course, do give us a shout out on social media. If you want to chat Star Wars, if you just want to have a little bit of Star Wars banter, or indeed give your thoughts on the Zack Snyder movie or the prequel books, if you've at all read them, you can go and get involved at sparkofrebellion.com slash Twitter or sparkofrebellion.com slash Instagram. They're going to take you straight through to our relevant social profiles. We can have a little bit of chin wag and, uh, just have a good time talking about Star Wars. You know, it's always fun, isn't it? And look, before I get to the content as well, I do just want to shout out to our current patron supporters over on Patreon who help us to produce this show. We've got a few over there who have been continually supporting us throughout the COVID pandemic, and I deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate that. So thank you so much. If you want to join that crew, if you want to get involved, if you want to be one of the uh, one of the the, the, the the crew, if you like, one of the Jedi that comes along on the missions with us every single week, week over on Patreon, then you can do that from as little as one book per month at sparkerrebellion.com forward slash Patreon. So, let's talk Zack Snyder. Now, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I've sort of got this love-hate relationship with, with, with Zack Snyder. Um, I think he's one of those filmmakers who clearly has a little bit of, of, of rubbing up the studios the wrong way, whether that's, you know, because of his creative direction, whether it's because of, um, you know, some of the decisions he makes or how he approaches things. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think I was really first exposed to him. Um, number one in Watchmen, which 
Um, you know, as a DC fan in particular, I mean, I'm a huge, huge, huge DC fan, huge DC fan. And like I said, you know, I was first exposed to him in Watchmen, which was a bit of a weird move. And then the director's cut came out and it was fantastic. You know, it was really, really good. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Massively long film, which I think is probably one of the things that gets Zack Snyder into trouble a little bit is that his visions are always so long. Um, so I enjoyed the Watchmen. You know, I enjoyed the Watchmen movie, the director's cut of it. And then, of course, th- th- there was so many other things that he's done. You know, obviously he did Sucker Punch, he did 300, which I really enjoyed that. Certainly that stylistic look, at, uh, again, another comic adaptation, a Frank Miller comic in 300, was, was something that, you know, had not really been... I don't think done before to that level. Um, so I was very, very interested in that one. You know, you've only got to look at uh, look at what he's done since then as well. It's all the same stuff. It's taking comic book uh, or, or certainly inspired comic book material and turning it into big sagas. Okay, so regardless of what you think of him with with, with Superman and Batman and Batman v Superman and then Justice League and then the Snyder Cut, you know, regardless of that. He he produces, in my view, what is very highly stylized, highly good work. Um, you've only got to look at his vision for Man of Steel, the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, and then, of course, Justice League's uh, the Zack Snyder cut, and look at his version versus the studio-released versions of, of, of that trilogy to see that he... You know, he goes a little bit deeper and he wants to go a little bit, bit deeper and he wants to build these franchises out and he wants to create something that's stylistically fascinating as well as, you know, engaging. So whether you love him or loathe him, there's no denying that he produces the type of films that get eyes on. Whether he's the best creator, I don't know. Is he the best at, you know, storytelling? <clears throat> I don't know. Who knows? All right. And let's look at Army of the Dead. You know, very, very recent movie that's come through from Zack Snyder. Frankly, it's so middle of the road. It's wonderful. Like, it knows exactly what it's trying to be. It's just a zombie flick. But stylistically, it's absolutely visually stunning. It is outstanding. Okay, so I I really enjoyed that. And I I don't mind Zack Snyder overall. Now, why do I say this? Um, Well, look, like I said, Gaz mentioned this last week. Snyder's working on Rebel Moon, okay, which is, um, it's a Netflix movie. And we, Gaz and I talked about this 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 um, Zack Snyder movie that was set in the Star Wars universe, and and him never getting chance to do that. Well, this is what Rebel Moon is. I mean, I don't know if even Rebel Moon is a hangover from it being Star Wars. I don't know. Okay, and it's it's fascinating. Okay, so Netflix has greenlit this, and according to the synopsis, the p- film picks up on the outskirts of the galaxy where a peaceful colony on a far-flung planet finds itself under siege by a tyrannical ruler known as Balisarius. In an effort to defend themselves, the colony's inhabitants send a young woman with a mysterious past to travel to other worlds to find warriors who will help them. Like, this sounds good. It sounds good. All right, and Snyder's come out and said, look, you know, as a Kurosawa fan, who, as we know, you know, George Lucas, heavily influenced by Kurosawa, uh, and as a Star Wars fan, it's my love of sci-fi and a giant adventure. My hope is that this also becomes a massive IP and a universe that can be built out. So this sounds like it was Star Wars, all right? We know this. And it looks fascinating, all right? Now, the reason that I wanted to give my thought on it today is that, look, I sort of don't get why this wasn't put into the Star Wars universe because, number one, the synopsis sounds fascinating, whether that's uncovering past Jedi, whether this mysterious woman is indeed, 
you know, <clears throat> a far-flung Jedi that we've ne- we've never spoken about before, or she's a- an overhang from Order 66. We don't know the time frame was this. Was it set during the High Republic in the far future? Where was it set? We just don't know. So it's it's fascinating to me. Now, the reason that, again, that I wanted to bring this up is that if we're Star Wars fans, the fun thing with this is that, <laughs> you know, let's be honest, we put up with, you know, Ryan Johnson having his take on it, and, you know, granted, whether you love it or love it, it was a very distinct take uh, take on, on Star Wars. And, <clears throat> you know, it set a precedent. It, it, it means that we can kind of, you know, colour outside of the lines a little bit with Star Wars. And then when you look at, you know, J.J. Abrams, you know, he's, he's a fantastic director and stylistically he's decent. Is he really great at finishing a story? No, he's not. You know, as we saw with Rise of Skywalker, again, you probably love it or loathe it, but regardless, the last two films in the main saga were very, very divisive. And the point that I'm trying to get at here is that the creator, the maker, the man who started all of this, George Lucas, he didn't do so, you know, when you look at The Empire Strikes Back and you look at Return of the Jedi, he didn't do this alone. He didn't do this alone, all right? He did this with a team of people. And you've got to really think about, you know, George Lucas running Star Wars, but the director, Irving Kirshner, of The Empire Strikes Back, for example, he was great at that, okay? He was great at that, and George Lucas didn't direct, he didn't direct Empire Strikes Back, all right? So you've got to think to yourself, actually, let's think this through. You know, we've put up with, sure, Star Wars was fantastic, you know, arguably it's got the best dialogue of anything that's been directed by George Lucas in the Star Wars universe. But when it really came down to it, he didn't he didn't direct what is widely regarded as the best movie in the in, in the entire saga, Empire Strikes Back. You know, if you look at Return of the Jedi, Richard Marquand, he he was the director of that. You know, Return of the Jedi was not directed by George Lucas, and you can distinctly tell. Now what was directed by George Lucas? Well it was the prequels. And the dialogue was off. The story, whilst I think it's genius, and I think it's getting better with time as we flesh things out even more and more in the new canon, I think it's a fantastic, well well thought out, very intricate story that is exceptionally well constructed in terms of of, 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 of positioning the people and positioning the powers and, and, and Palpatine being this ultimate Eva. I, I, I do... I do think that the prequel story and then the, the Clone Wars story and everything that is around that, I think it's fascinating. I think it's brilliant. But the prequels got hammered because Lucas is Lucas. He, you know, he does what Lucas does. And then when you think, you know, back to the sequels, you know, you've got JJ times two. You've got, of course, your, um, in the middle, Ryan Johnson. You, you've got to really think that we are used to storytellers only doing one particular set of things. And what I'm talking about there is they can either be great at the vision, like George Lucas, or they can be great at the execution, like uh, Kirshner and Marquand. You know, Kirshner significantly more, of course, but or they, they, they can be great at another facet of it. So whatever, you know, whatever that facet of it is, it's very rare that you get a director that's fantastic at everything. You know, you're looking at a Coppola or you're looking at maybe a Tarantino. That, that is arguably great at everything. Now, Zack Snyder, he's great at the sort of thing that we want to see from a Star Wars film. He's great at stylized action. He's great at, you know, let's be, let's be honest, stories that have got a lot of plot points, but that we buy into the mythology of, and that has got, 
enough IP around them in the books and the comics and the TV shows where the plot points can then be retconned. I mean, we're seeing this all the time with the prequels and we're seeing this all the time with, um, you know, the comics and the books and the novelizations, which I'll get to in a second. So it's fascinating to me that Zack Snyder was pulled away from Star Wars when arguably he is the best person to helm a spectacular Star Wars movie that doesn't have to be standing up to, you know, the scrutiny of getting the characters right like Batman and Superman had to do. You know, you get Batman wrong, everyone cries. Just like you get like Luke Skywalker wrong, everyone cries. But, you, you know, we're introducing potentially a range of brand new characters here to the Star Wars universe and, you know, the running the gamut of the different types of characters that we can introduce... Arguably, like I said, Zack Snyder is the perfect man for this because visually it would be fantastic, it would look brilliant, it would, you know, pacing-wise, it would probably be semi-decent because Zack Snyder, as long as the studio seems to not get involved, when Snyder doesn't seem to have interference from the studio, his pacing isn't generally that bad. We know he'd have probably turned out a a three-and-a-half-hour space opera because it's Zack Snyder. We know he'd have been aiming for a franchise. We know because it's Zack Snyder, that he would have probably dug into a little bit of the mythology. He would have probably linked, you know, the mysterious pastor to go and find these warriors with something that we're already familiar with. And as Star Wars fans, what do we want? We often want more of, just more of what we're familiar with. So it kind of kind of baffles me that, that, that Snyder wasn't allowed to do that. You know, it, it amazes me that... that you know, potentially this popcorn movie, which is it's not intended to be the Godfather, it's not intended to be anything like that. You know, it's intended to be a popcorn space cowboy style opera. You know, granted it'll be it'll be influenced by Kurosawa and so on and so forth. But you know, let's let's be let's be clear on what this is. Let's be clear on what all Star Wars is. You know, it's popcorn stuff. And if you love it, you dig into the mythology. And if you don't love it, if you're not, you know, if you're not, if you're not a huge fan of it, or if you're just a casual fan of it, then you don't dig into the mythology. You're not reading the books. You're not watching the Clone Wars. You're not playing the games. All right. So if you're a fan, you're a fan, and if you're not a fan, you're not a fan. Um. So I think it's, I think it's fascinating that Snyder was just dropped off this because I think he would be potentially one of the best people directing today to work on a Star Wars film, and especially fresh IP. You know, we're not saying Zack Snyder go and make Luke Skywalker. We're not saying Zack Snyder go and reinvent Princess Leia or, you know, Ben Kenobi or or Ben Solo. What we're saying is that go and play in this corner and do the thing stylistically that you do. I think it might have been a bit of a mistake. You know, maybe Rebel Moon will come out and be like, oh, damn, okay, I can I can sort of imagine that in the Star Wars universe, and I'm kind of gutted that it doesn't have that connectivity. So we'll see. You know, we'll see. I mean, I just wanted to talk about that. I know Gaz covered it last week um, from a news perspective and gave his thoughts on it, but I just wanted to dig a bit deeper on my thoughts on that because I do see where Zack Snyder could have fit. So let me know. What are your thoughts on this? Hit me up, sparkrebellion.com slash Twitter. Let me know what your thoughts are on this. Would you have liked to have seen Zack Snyder helm a Star Wars story set somewhere in the distant past or the distant future or in another corner of the Star Wars galaxy? Let me know. Let me know on Twitter, like I said, sparkrebellion.com slash Twitter. All right, let's talk prequels. Um, 
I, I mentioned just there that you know if, if you're a fan you're a fan and you you, you know you, you dig into everything don't you if you're a fan there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that you know what I'm like you know you've you, you've listened to Gaz and I for a while now if you haven't if this is your first episode of Spike Rebellion welcome it's great to have you on board but you know if you have listened for a while so Pascal and and, and, and Sean and Chris and all the people that support us Tom and and all the people that support us you know you'll know that we we like mythology, we like connective tissue, we like things that work, you know, in context of themselves, but also in context of other materials in the Star Wars galaxy. And and me in particular, I mean, I, I love stuff that connects, you know, I love learning why this thing happened over here in this other story over here, or I love fleshing out the stories. And I think it's a bit crappy sometimes that, you know, we've got to read a book to figure out why The Rise of Skywalker wasn't as bad as it as it actually physically was on film. I think that's stupid, but what I do like is fleshing out things more when it's not to the detriment of the material that you're watching. So, you know, if The Rise of Skywalker was a standalone great film, but you got more context from a book or from a supporting material, all well and good. What I don't like is when it's like, oh, actually, the proper version's over here in the book. You know, I don't like that part of it. Now, <laughs> with that said... You remember a bit ago, I spoke about um, with Gaz how I'd ordered the, I'd ordered basically every novelization of the main saga films. Um, I don't know if Rise of Skywalker's come, maybe it has. Um, I should check the cupboard actually. But I've started on the prequels. All right, so we had the new Kevin Scott book, the High Republic book that landed uh, in my inbox um, yesterday or the day before. No, it, it was last week, and I was like, just finished Attack of the Clones novelization. what should I do? Should I read this new book by Kevin Scott, The High Republic, or should I indeed carry on with the prequels? And I, I dove in, all right, I dove in. Um, so at this point, as of, as of today's recording, I have read The Phantom Menace, I have read Attack of the Clones, and I have read probably the first quarter of Revenge of the Sith. Now, taking into account nothing else so sure there are a couple of bits that are like old canon in there so some of the battles that are mentioned in revenge of the sith for example um are not represented so much in the clone wars as i can remember that's by the by i can get past that um but the thing to think about here is that um you know, I'm, 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 I've not really considered, like, the Clone Wars, so I'm not thinking about anything Ahsoka Tano, I'm not thinking about Captain Rex or any of the clone relationships that they've got. I'm thinking purely about these particular books. And what is absolutely fascinating to me is that these books are great. They are great, all right? Now, the reason that they're great is because they do the job that the prequels set out to achieve, which is to tell the story of Anakin Skywalker. They tell the actual story of Anakin Skywalker, not the movie version that's sort of like, a, you know, the best of, the greatest hits, like the footnotes or the the, 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 the table of contents of what happened in Anakin's Padawan, Padawan and early Jedi Master years. <clears throat> you know, this is... Deep dive, all right? And I've said it before when it comes to um, things like a certain point of view, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back, in particular a New Hope one. I didn't think the ESB one was as good as the New Hope one. Um, but I've said it before that you get context. So you get, like with the, the New Hope um, certain point of view, you get people like Obi-Wan that are giving their opinion on Anakin. And, you know, that you, you get a bit of feeling. You get the fact that he was communing with Qui-Gon. 
you get the fact that he was he was dealing with all that stuff around a new hope happening. So you had you know Luke Skywalker you know going off to find his his aunt Baru and his uncle Owen murdered. But in that gap from leaving Obi Wan to going back to Obi Wan's hut, you know Obi Wan was communing with with, with Qui Gon Jinn. Um, and it, so it added all of this context, and it gave you what what I thought was fascinating was it gave you a real insight into the minds of the people that we only got fleeting glances at on screen. And this is where I feel like these prequel books really, really, really excel. And a great example of this is that you know you you get actually at the beginning of Star Wars: uh, A Phantom Menace. What you get is Episode One. The beginning is actually Anakin Skywalker going out and coming across some Tusken Raiders um, to add context for later when Attack of the Clones kicks in and obviously goes off and murders them. So it. It adds a lot of context, not only about his relationship with the Raiders in, in one example, but also around his caring nature. You know, he cares for a Tuscan Raider rather than leaving it to die um, <clears throat> and trusts the Tuscan Raider. So it, it adds this context about his personality and how he thinks. It adds a lot to how his relationship with his mum was so deep and so vital to his life. Um, and it adds a lot to how he dealt with the Force. You know, he just thought the Force was just, it was just his instincts. And, you know, how could he survive these pod races? And granted, he'd never finished one before the Boonter Reef Classic, which he went on to win, but he, he, he was surviving when no other human had done so. <clears throat> so you, you get so much context. And then when you look at Attack of the Clones as, um, a novel as well, again, it begins with Anakin's visions. It begins with Anakin's nightmares of Shmi. And it's, you know, these are force visions and it's, it's, it's accuracy in what's happening to Shmi. So, you know, the timeline is when you when you go and see Klieg Lars and Owen Lars and, 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 and Baru over, when he goes over to Tatooine to finally go and, and find Shmi, you know, that's four weeks after he started having these dreams, at which point, you know, that in canon and in context, that four weeks is when she got kidnapped. So he was seeing this almost live as a force vision. And you start to see why he began to sort of feel a little bit dejected by the force as the Jedi presented it, because indeed what you had was this idea that, you know, visions are not always to be believed, they're not always predictions of the future, you can't get scared, you can't do this, you can't do the other. And and to me, it, it really just fleshes out so much more. And then when you fast forward, like I said, I'm only about a quarter into The Phantom Menace, and I'm sure I'll talk about this with Gaz when I finished it, but You've only got to look at the interaction between Dooku and Anakin and Obi-Wan and Palpatine in that famous, um, you know, that scene on the Invisible Hand, the General Grievous ship. You've only got to look at that famous scene on screen and you sort of like, well, what's going on here? Like, why, why is Palpatine doing this? Why is he, you know, why does Dooku look shocked? Um, you know, what is why does Anakin turn so quickly into taking his head off? Because we've not got that relationship with Palpatine yet, you know, again, taking the Clone Wars out of the equation. But it adds so much to the mix. You know, you've got a conversation going on between Dooku and Palpatine just before Obi-Wan and Anakin enter the, 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 the room um, to, to come and rescue him. And it, it, it's all about lining up Anakin. And, and, and we see all this extra mindset from Anakin, the fact that Palpatine says to him during that fight with Dooku, lean into your rage, it's what fuels you, or lean into your fear, it's what fuels you, and you you start to see that Anakin's, you know, something clicks for him, he, he, he realises that, wait a sec, 
I can actually harness this and I can become more powerful. And yes, I'm still a Jedi, but I'm just going to tap into this like Mace Windu does. You know, we, we've seen this before. He taps into the dark side. It's a canon thing that he taps into it, which is why he's so fearsome uh, as a warrior. <clears throat> and Anakin realises that he can do this to become more powerful and overwhelm Count Dooku. And we don't see that on film because we don't have the time or the exposition to be able to do that. It's difficult without 10 films before it or the preceding Clone Wars to build up these throwaway lines, you know, a throwaway line in one episode adds context, adds context, then another episode, another throwaway line, and suddenly we're getting a much fuller picture of an Anakin Skywalker through the Clone Wars than we ever got in the movies. And this is why the books are fascinating. This is why the books are fascinating. So I highly, highly recommend that you pick these books up, all right? Um, they're not expensive, you know, seven, eight quid a pop. Um, they're about 320, 330 pages long. Uh, the first two, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith is about 440, so a little bit longer. Um, but I highly recommend that you do it. Highly, highly, highly recommend that you grab these books because you will enjoy the movies much, much more. Um, it's like when you're watching, you know, Cobra Kai and there's a little in-joke to watch something that happened in the film, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember the Karate Kid film, I've seen that. So, yeah, I get this little in-joke, and I know why that character's doing this thing. It's the same here. It's the same here. You get so much more context, and as a casual viewer, it sort of doesn't matter. You watch the prequels for what they are. And I know it's a retcon. I know it's all just been filled in to make the movies feel more cohesive, and that's fine. I'm all right with that, because it does. It works. So when you read the books... I believe that you will enjoy the movies even more. If you're a prequel fan, you will enjoy them even more. If you're not a prequel fan, maybe you'll come around to them a little bit more by just checking this context out, all right? So I highly recommend those books, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and, of course, Revenge of the Sith. All right. That is a wrap. We've got plenty coming up over the next few weeks. We'll be back to the news we're going to be back to the usual. You know, Gaz and I will be back in the saddle next week together. It's uh, it's always great to do this. I can't believe that we're 115 episodes in to Spark of Rebellion. It's something that we do as a, as a labour of love. It's a passion. We record it on a Friday afternoon to wind down for the weekend. And uh, I'm just so pleased that we're able to do this. You know, it's, we don't do it for a living. We do it because we love it. And we'll continue to do it because we love it. So thank you to everyone that supports us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Rebellion. Or the short link which is sparkerrebellion.com slash Patreon. If you want to talk about the prequels or indeed that Rebel Moon Zack Snyder story that was previously going to be a Star Wars tale, do so over on Twitter, sparkerrebellion.com slash Twitter. I'm going to be back with the main man Gary next week. And until then, thanks for joining me. Stay safe, stay well, enjoy yourself, and may the Force be with you always.